Good morning. So glad to be with you this morning. For as long as I can remember, my parents would give me a new Christmas book every Christmas, every December. And this was always kind of a special treat during the month of December. It, you may have a Christmas story that you have read as a family that you pull out this book every year to read during the Christmas season. Uh, a couple of them from the collection with our family included A Christmas Carol, uh, The Polar Express, The Nutcracker, um, and The Christmas Tree. And we would, we would really treasure having these moments of just connecting as a family and reading a book together. One of the books that we would read regularly was um, the short story by O. Henry called The Gift of the Magi. Maybe you're familiar with it. It is the story of a couple who have very little money and they sacrifice something in order to purchase a Christmas present for the other. The wife, Della, cuts her beautiful long hair and she sells it to pay for a pocket watch chain for her husband, Jim. You can tell how old this story is. It was from the early 1900s. And meanwhile, Jim sells his pocket watch in order to purchase these ornamental hair combs for his wife, Della, to put in her beautiful long hair. You see the irony of this story. Both of these people pursue the perfect present for their spouse, only to find that the gift no longer has purpose. So the, when the couple exchanges their gifts, they realize how far they went to show their love to one another. The gifts were costly to them. And O. Henry concludes this short story by comparing the costly gifts that these couple that this couple exchanges with each other to the costly gifts of the Magi, the biblical Magi, in the gospel story of Jesus' birth. We can probably identify with the characters of O. Henry's short story and can remember a present that you gave along the way to a spouse or to a child or uh, to a close friend. Maybe you took a significant amount out of your savings in order to purchase that engagement ring to propose. Or you stood in line um, on Black Friday for what felt like hours in order to get the one toy that was on your kid's Christmas list that year. Or you spent hours and hours knitting this baby blanket for an upcoming arrival of your niece's baby to surprise them with this blanket when, when the baby came. Giving gifts is costly. What gift have you given to someone in your life that was of great cost to give? Often our most costly gifts are not just tangible possessions, but giving of time, attention, affirmation, or service in relationship with one another. Maybe the gift that you're giving in this season is attention and support to your child who is struggling to hold on to friendships right now and feels very alone in this season. Maybe the gift that you're giving is being the child um, who is showing up consistently with your parent to take them to doctor's appointments and to help them navigate through the current health concern that they're facing. 
Maybe the gift that you are giving is meeting a friend for coffee every Monday night just to listen as your friend tells you about what's going on right now in their messy divorce. We are not alone in experiencing the cost of giving. When we read the gospel account of Jesus's arrival as a baby in Bethlehem, this story is filled with people who experience a cost and a risk to pursue the newborn king. What does it mean to be faithful when we're faced with a cost and a risk to follow Christ? While we may use the word faithful often, do we really understand and know the implications of being faithful? The definition of faithful is to remain loyal and steadfast. How do we remain loyal and steadfast when there is risk and cost to following Jesus? As Pastor Ben mentioned, we're in a sermon series called The Songs of Christmas, singing the songs and diving into the stories behind the song. We are reminded that these songs go beyond comfort, familiarity, and our sentimental feelings about the songs, but rather that they point to a message of, the, of Christ's arrival as the baby in Bethlehem. Last week, we looked at the story of the shepherds and the angels, recognizing that there was intentionality with who first received the announcement of Christ's birth. If we pay attention to who received the announcement of Christ's birth, it helps us to know who the good news is for. This morning, we're going to take a look at the story of the Magi who travel from the east with great risk and cost to give gifts to Christ. Who are these Magi? And why do they seek out the newborn king? We'll also consider how their story relates to the Christmas song, O Come All Ye Faithful, which we just sang together a moment ago. O Come All Ye Faithful is also known as Adestis Fidelis. That's in the Latin. And it's a Christmas carol that's been attributed to various authors. It's commonly believed that the text was written by Cistercian monks. Um, but in modern English hymnals, the text is credited to John Francis Wade, whose name appears on the first printed version of this carol back in 1751. This is a carol all about adoration and giving glory to God. But we're going to ask the question this morning, what happens when coming to bring glory and adoration to Christ? What happens when we come to be faithful comes with risk and cost. If you have your Bible with you today or have it on your phone, we're going to begin in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. We're going to have that up on the screen as well. Let's dive in. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. In Matthew 2, we are introduced to the Magi from the East. These Magi were astronomers, astrologers, and dream interpreters. They charted the stars, and they attached religious meaning to the significance of their movements. They came from a people and place in the East where astronomy was common and studied. Ancient kings needed and relied upon these Magi for advice and discernment, similar to in modern day what um, rulers would rely on advisors for. 
Although these magi are commonly referred to as kings, we've heard this often, the three kings, right? There is nothing in the account of the Gospel of Matthew that would suggest that they were rulers of any sort. The magi recognize that a star has has risen, and they realize something in the cosmic world has shifted. Many people in the ancient world believed that stars announced the birth of great people. And everywhere throughout the East, people were looking for the advent of the great king to rise from among the Jews. And there was a general expectation that a Messiah or a great man would come from Judea. The Magi see the star and they follow it to come and see the one who the star announces. The Magi come from the East, we read in the scriptures. The East at the time of Christ's birth would have been Persia, Assyria, and Babylonia, countries that are now encompassed by Iran and Iraq. We have a map that shows the Near East during the time of Christ as the Magi travel to Jerusalem. I think that we have that coming up here. There it is. So you can see that off into the east, there's Persia, Assyria, and Babylonia. The Magi are traveling from this region all the way over to Jerusalem, which you can see near Canaan by the Mediterranean Sea. This was a long distance for travel. Many biblical scholars assert that the Magi from the East may have referred to coming from Babylon, as there are other scripture references to the East which note Babylon. On today's map, Babylon is located pretty close to Baghdad, Iraq, which means that the Magi would have traveled more than 900 miles to come and see Jesus. Think about that for a moment. What does this long travel reveal about the Magi? Their journey is not just this geographical adventure, but rather it is a sacred journey. It is a pilgrimage. We don't use the word pilgrimage often, but it's a journey for deeper meaning. The Magi suspect that something important is happening, and these men give themselves to the journey of discovery and discernment. This was likely no small excursion. The size of the caravan was probably large in order to travel from the east to Jerusalem because there were likely accompanying guards for protection of the wise men and the valuable gifts that they were bringing with them. And they they also were needing to bring food, servants, and supplies for this journey. There is a great cost for these wise men to take this journey to the newborn king. Long travel, a large caravan, and all of the expense of it. All of this is for the cost to come and worship him. We just sang a moment ago, O come all ye faithful. And in the refrain of that, we sing, O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. This, this refrain speaks of adoration, the deep respect that we pay to someone. And in the Bible, adoration is akin to God having, having worship of God. These magi are coming from long tra- with long travel and expense in order to worship Jesus. 
In Matthew 2, we just read that the Magi declare, we saw the star and it rose and we have come to worship him. The word here translated as proskuneo, which means to bow before and to revere. This is a sacred journey. And these men are traveling a long distance and embracing a willingness to humble themselves before this newborn king. They are showing up in reverence. And these are foreigners and Gentiles who are coming to worship the one born king of the Jews. There is a cost for them to come and worship. There is a cost to come and adore him. What is the cost for you to follow Jesus? Has your devotion to Christ cost you friends, family, comfort, or reputation? Author Christine Kane recently wrote of the cost of following Jesus by sharing, it's difficult to move on from something that brings you great satisfaction, joy, comfort, and security to follow Jesus into the unknown. The challenge is to remain obedient to the call of God when it feels like the initial short-term cost far outweighs the benefits. If you look around and compare your journey with someone else's, you'll likely get frustrated. If you compare your cost with someone else's, you'll likely become resentful. You have to fix your eyes on Jesus. You can't get to where he's taking you if you don't go. If you were to name what cost you've given to following Jesus, what would it be? Maybe you recognize a step that God is inviting you into to follow him, but this step feels costly. It feels uncomfortable and challenging. In order to find their way to Jesus, the Magi needed to go into the unknown and to follow the star. Where is God inviting you to go? The Magi travel from afar and arrive in Jerusalem and ask where they can find the one who has been born king of the Jews. This question grabs King Herod's attention and all of Jerusalem with him. Let's continue reading in Matthew 2 verses 3 through 8. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. King Herod is disturbed and concerned. Why does what the Magi are asking, they're asking the question, where can I find this newborn king? Why does that get under King Herod's skin so deeply? You see, Herod was a foreigner who had become the ruler by force, and he worried that a coming Messiah would rival his rule. The king was suffering throughout the last and paranoid years of his reign during the time when Jesus arrives. He viewed the birth of Jesus as a potential threat to his power, grabbing control of his realm and reestablishing a legitimate Jewish ruling line, as had been attempted at the start of Herod's rule 35 years prior. 
So Herod decides to assemble the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin, and he, and he wants to understand from them the prophecy around when the Messiah and where the Messiah was to be born. You see, it was the chief priest's business to study and explain the Old Testament. They were presumed to know that what the prophecies had declared. So he calls them together, and the chief priests respond with uh, the scripture from Micah 5, verse 2. We just read that a moment ago, um, which is shared as part of the Gospel of Matthew. The prophecy points to a ruler from Bethlehem who will shepherd the people of Israel. Herod seems satisfied with the response. And so then Herod calls these magi to him secretly. And he asks them some questions. He asks them to give the, the timing of when the star rose. He is eager to learn more from these foreigners about what they know of the arrival of this king. And then he sends them as messengers to provide a location for where the no newborn king is, hiding his true intentions. Can you imagine this moment for the Magi? They have traveled so far, and in this moment, these Magi enter into a conflict between two kingdoms. The rule of Herod, or continuing to follow the star to find the one born king of the Jews. Herod is seeking to stay on the throne and to maintain his rule. So what do these magi do? Do they continue their journey at this moment? Or do they report to Herod um, what has happened? And, and what is the risk? This journey now has taken a turn for these magi. This journey now involves risk. These magi are going to risk the danger of King Herod's intentions as they continue to follow the star, as they continue to be faithful in order to give gifts to the newborn king. They are seeking to place Jesus on the throne as the king that has arrived, the king of the Jews. The tension in this exchange between the magi and Herod is this, who is on the throne? Is it King Herod, or is it the star that's signaling the arrival of the newborn king? This is a question for us as well. Who are you placing on the throne in your life? Are we willing to risk placing Jesus on the throne of our whole lives, not holding back any parts, but acknowledging him as king over all of it? When we're faced with competing demands for our attention and our adoration, do we lose ourselves in professions, politics, possessions, or perceptions of ourselves and others above following Jesus as king? What do you risk by placing Jesus on the throne of your life? When you look towards upcoming elections and wonder what the future holds for the political candidate that you support, who are you placing on the throne? When you are considering a new career path that seems so aligned with your calling, but you're hesitant because taking that job would bring along with it new challenges and less job security and stability, who are you placing on the throne? When you lose touch with a close friend 
And because of a disagreement and fracture, you feel like it may not be possible to ever regain that friendship. And you've struggled to be the one to take the first step in reconciliation. Who are you placing on the throne? Following Jesus and placing him on the throne involves risk for the Magi and for us as well. If you are going to follow Jesus, we will inevitably take risks. We may need to leave what is safe, predictable, and secure. What have you risked by placing Jesus on the throne? The Magi accept the risks of continuing their journey, and they leave King Herod to continue to follow the star. Let's continue in Matthew 2, verses 9 through 12. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that, had, that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The star that they have been following centers on the place where the Magi arrive to find Jesus. When they arrive, they, we read that they were overjoyed. In this moment, they have now come to adore him. They have come to worship the newborn king. In this moment, these men are experiencing fully the words of the verse that we sang a moment ago with, O come all ye faithful. Yes, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. In Sir David Wilcox's arrangement of this song, choirs and organists reach a moment in this verse that they simply call the chord. It's a moment of an unexpected change in harmony in, in the organ accompaniment of this verse, and it's corresponding with the line, word of the Father. In the language of music theorists, this chord is called a B half-diminished seventh. It's a very rare chord. And as Professor Dr. Martin Clark describes it, to line it up with, with this chord not only reinforces the mystery of the text, word of the Father, but it grabs you. It makes you concentrate and makes you confront it. In this moment in Bethlehem, these magi have full attention on the word of the father. They are concentrated on this newborn king. They are arriving with gifts to give glory to Jesus, the word of the father now appearing right before them. Their journey has brought them to this moment of seeing Jesus in flesh as the baby in Bethlehem. They present him with gifts of great worth, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever wondered why these are the gifts that the Magi bring from this long distance all the way to Bethlehem? Each of these gifts had a spiritual meaning. Gold as a symbol of kingship on earth with its value. Frankincense and incense as a symbol of deity. And myrrh, an embalming oil, as a symbol of death. These gifts are symbols Symbols of king, of God, 
and of sacrifice. The Magi have traveled a long distance with great cost and risk to give these gifts to Jesus. These gifts honoring him as God and as king. These gifts also symbolize sacrifice. Giving gifts involves risk and cost for these magi. But friends, in the end, it is the Son of God, the one they greet in the flesh, who gives the most costly gift as he leaves his Father's side to come in flesh to dwell among us. Ken read this scripture this morning. It's from John 1, verse 14. We read, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, leaving the Father's side in heaven to become one of us is costly. Let me say that again. Leaving his Father's side in heaven to become one of us is costly. The Son of God comes and he dwells among us despite the hostility and rejection of the world. And he comes in flesh as a humble servant. In his letter to the church of Philippi, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, Christ gives us the most costly gift and humbling himself so fully as he he comes in flesh and leaves his father's side so as to reconcile us to God and give glory to the Father. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis stated succinctly, the Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. This is the heart of the celebration of Christmas. The greatest and most costly gift comes from Christ who comes to dwell among us in the flesh and ultimately gives his life to allow us to become sons and daughters of God. Have you accepted the costly gift in your life? What may be your next step in following Jesus as a son or daughter of the king? This morning, we've looked at the story of these magi as they travel to Jesus, and we've examined verses and the refrains of the song, O Come All Ye Faithful. Both are an invitation to come and adore him. And both are also a challenge for us to be faithful. How do we remain faithful, loyal, and steadfast when there is risk and cost to following Jesus? Being faithful is not of our own worthiness or strength, but it's out of God's. God's work in building his kingdom here does not require us, but rather he invites us to participate and to enter into his faithfulness. During this day and this week, I encourage us to consider a question together. What is my next step in faithfulness to God? Maybe this morning 
you are easily able to name the cost of following Jesus in your life right now. How will you continue to be faithful in the cost to follow him? Maybe you realize that there is a step or a risk that you are ready to take, leaving the familiar, taking a journey into something new that God is calling you toward. How will you move forward with a next step of faithfulness? Maybe today you wonder if you are worthy of receiving the costly gift that God is offering to you. And friends, if that is you today, could today be the day of recognizing that God has an invitation for you, an invitation to enter into his faithfulness? We speak often of next steps in our journey with Christ. This morning, we witnessed and celebrated Molly's baptism and this moment of taking a next step in faithfulness and commitment to following Jesus. We all have a next step in our journey with Christ. What is your next step in faithfulness? The Magi's journey to Jesus involves risk and cost to come and adore the King. But the greatest and most costly gift comes from Christ who comes to dwell among us in the flesh and ultimately gives his life for us to become sons and daughters of the King. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you and give you thanks for your goodness and your love and your faithfulness. We thank you for sending your son Jesus, the word made flesh to dwell among us, to reconcile and to redeem us. And we thank you that we may be called sons and daughters of you, our King. Lord, we pray that you would guide our steps in faithfulness. And we thank you that you alone are always faithful, always good, and always ready to show us love and grace and mercy. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.